Welcome. This is a Talking Tough podcast, brought to you by Dr. Martens and hosted by journalist Bohanna, creative entrepreneur Shamiro van der Geld, and myself, Jill Maton, writer and journalist from Amsterdam. The past year, we had to be tougher than ever, so we are back again to share stories of resilience with our guests, covering topics such as the presence of ego and spirituality, using art to express a message to the mass, and mental health amongst creatives. Sit tight and enjoy. In today's episode, we're talking tough with Christina de Witte, better known as Krostin on Instagram. She's Belgium's most popular illustrator at the moment, and that's for a reason. With her illustrations, she breaks taboos, opens up conversations, and fights all the different isms. Enough reasons to dive a bit deeper. Welcome, Christina. How are you doing? I'm good, actually. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You're in Antwerp right now, right? Right, yeah, I moved to Antwerp, I'm thinking three months ago now. So far, I'm loving it. I'm having a good time. It's different. It's different than Mechelen, my hometown. Well, my original hometown. I like it here, especially because it's Berchem. It's a little bit different. It's so. a good area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. As you know, this podcast is called Talking Tough. So the first questions that we have are about toughness. I really wanted to know... What is tough about you? Well, I would say that I'm not tough. <laughs> so when I consider myself tough, I think of myself as being vulnerable for many, many, many reasons. I'm thinking being vulnerable in relationship, being vulnerable towards yourself, being vulnerable and honest in your work. To me, that's being tough. That's rather an emotional way of being tough. But let's say when I'm at my physical toughest, is probably when I'm laying in the tattoo seat to get another tattoo because I really enjoy the pain. Well, to me, it's not pain, but it makes me feel alive. That makes me pretty tough, I think. I got a new one recently. I can show you maybe. Yeah, where did you get it? So it's on your uh, upper Antwerp. arm, on your upper left arm. Yeah, it's the upper arm for everyone who can't see right now, but it's, <laughs> a, it's a teddy bear. She She's holding like a, a lucky clover. I feel like the past year has been so life-changing to me. So in honor of that, I got a Rilakkuma teddy bear. Did you illustrate it yourself? No, no, no. It's more of an ode to Rilakkuma. Rilakkuma is a, well, yeah, it's, it's a brand actually, but it's a brand of teddy bears. They even have their own Netflix show, by the way, if you haven't seen oh, really? it. It's so cute. Yeah, it's stop motion and it's super cute. It's so, yeah, soothing. I love it. So kawaii. So your toughness is being vulnerable, right? And then you also said, I don't think I'm really tough, but what is toughness then? Well, in my opinion, toughness can have multiple meanings because toughness is when you're strong, but then we shift the discussion to what is being strong. Because to me, people who are like true to themselves or like honest or like you know, themselves in general, that to me is being strong. That to me is being powerful. But toughness can also 
mean like in a less nicer way I'm, I'm guessing like when you close up because I used to be tough when I was a teenager but not in a good way I used to be a tough teenager I used to be angry all the time when you're 16 the whole world is inside your school walls and your home walls I guess but even then sometimes you could feel like the world was on fire and that you are nothing so yeah, being a teenager is already super tough, in my opinion. But I've let that shell go. And I think that's also being tough in a way because the world is not fair always. How did you manage that to get over that, to discover your new toughness? I think a lot of, a lot of that has to do with like my identity crisis that at least every teenager had at least once in their lives, I think. But especially when you have mixed roots or like when you're a girl or, you know, you're already struggling. And to me, growing up with multiple like cultures or like backgrounds, to me, it was very difficult because I didn't have like that sense of belonging anywhere, not even here or not even in my country of origin, because either way, I looked different. And as a teenager, I used to believe that being different was equaled being wrong or not good enough or not valuable. While as I was growing up, entering my early 20s, I realized or well, I did a lot of work <laughs> to realize that being different is is powerful and it is valuable and it's not wrong or a bad thing necessarily. You say you did a lot of work. Can you give me an example of work if you would like to share them? If, is there something that you can share about the work you have done or that you consider work? Going in therapy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I feel like, this, especially our generation, there is not a lot of taboo anymore left when it comes to therapy, right? But that doesn't mean that it's an easy thing to do. And especially when you have like parents that come from another country, you also have that intergenerational trauma that also runs through your veins. Well, I'm talking about my own household, of course, because I can only speak for myself. But I feel like especially in households with migration roots, it's very difficult to, to talk about emotional traumas or, or hurtfulness or even being vulnerable, as I was stating in the beginning. It's so difficult because when my parents came here, well, when my mom came here, her first focus was to take care of the children and to help them, you know, grow up in a country that is different than Thailand. Her priority was to get food on the table, to manage everything. Whereas my generation, so we could think about other things. For example, equal representation or like the fights that our parents didn't have to fight. but there is like another level to it. And I can't blame my mom for not being as emotionally available as I wished that she would be in my teenage years, because that also was a big part of that identity crisis. And doing a lot of inner work and going into therapy and deciding for yourself that you are as good as you are that helped me a lot with accepting and like, you know, make peace with who I am as a person. And in that sense, that's also very powerful. So you're saying that your mother had different challenges than, than your generation, basically. Can you explain that? 
Yeah, definitely. I believe that the generation of my mom and her parents had totally different uh, difficulties and challenges in life because, well, I mean, growing up in Thailand, I feel like my mom didn't have as much opportunities, for example, to go to school as I did, as going to work or like getting a diploma in general was for her like not even an option. So coming from that, she has probably a lot of more difficulties and problems that are different than mine because she left her home country in order for us, her children, to have a better life. And I think that's so respectable and that is that must have been so tough so that her problems and her nightmares, let's say, and her demons are totally different than mine. So as a teenager, I used to blame her because she wasn't as emotionally available as I would wanted it. But now, realizing now, after doing a lot of inner work, like therapy, seeing where all the roots of these feelings lay, I realized that I can't really blame her because she did what she believed back then was best. And that's respectable. And that's even like honorable. I feel leaving a country that you know in order for your kids to have a better life, I think that's one of the most selfless decisions that you can make. I think it's uh, amazing that you open up so much about yourself, sharing what stuff about you. But we also wanted to know what is stuff about Crosstown? That's actually a great question because I consider Crosstown as, well, of course, a big part of me because she comes out of my brain. So she must be somehow a part of me. But I feel like Crosstown is a more outgoing version of myself. I consider Crosstown as my gateway, as my diary, as my, you know, my safe space. And therefore I can be more myself or like my preferable self. To give an example, I can be more to the point. I can set my boundaries really well in my comics. You know, Crosstown is like the version of myself that I really, really aspire to be. She is loud. She is unapologetically herself. In a way, I'm getting there, but I still feel like there is a lot of work to do. My comics, like creating my comics, is part of that, is, is one of the ways that helped me getting there. So in a way, Crosstown is tougher than Christina, but Christina is learning a lot of from Crosstown. And I hope that people see my personal evolution, like my personal growth throughout my comics, because the stuff that I used to make earlier is not the same stuff that I'm making today. In that way, I hope they process a lot more. It's amazing. Is that also the power of uh, illustrations in your in your opinion? Oh, definitely. I feel like any art form for that matter is if not anything the gateway for a lot of people because let's be fair when we were in the middle of the pandemic which we maybe still are a lot of the obligations in life just fell away a lot of meetings were cancelled a lot of introspection was required during this period because all of the sudden we were just human and all of the sudden we were just us because we lost all of our social like activities and like parties and everything around us just fell away and the funny thing is everybody was obliged to think in all of a sudden and 
realizing that during this corona or whatever this thing is, that art is an important gateway. If you have nothing like an artsy expression or like an artistic expression, you have nothing left during that pandemic. Imagine no books, no Netflix, no paintings, no music, no YouTube videos, no, no, nothing, no zero artworks. Imagine getting through a pandemic without any art or culture. I would not survive it. So I realized even more that the importance of art is of undeniable worth and that we should not consider mm. it as not a real job or consider it as mm. a B-rank job. So no, it's real, it's real and it's important. You mentioned last year was a very important year for you and you also just shed a little bit light on the pandemic and how difficult uh, that those times were for many people. Do you feel this time was requiring you to make more illustrations and were there certain topics that you felt that you really had to push through? Yes and no. The reason why I think the past year is so important is because to me, I made a lot of personal decisions. And of course, art belongs in that space as well. But I feel like I quit my job at the magazine I worked for and suddenly I had nothing left. But I felt so unhappy. I became so unhappy at that place that I realized I have to change something. So instead of forcing myself to draw even more, I just let it go for a while. And really to, to take a step back, to think like, okay, what do I really want in life? Is there more than illustration? Is there more than being a social media figure? Is there more than being just me? And I realized that I have been pushing myself all the way to the back because people were demanding so much of me that I learned to say no even more often because I was obliged to say no more often because otherwise it might have not ended well. So that's the reason why I quit my job because it was too stressful and it was too much. And the pandemic made me realize that working that hard and that much is not normal. Now I have to look for another way, of course, to make money because I'm still an artist, but I still got to pay my bills. And that was one day that I, I was just walking down the street and then, then I saw like a little cute building and that was the moment I remember it so vividly that my gut feeling said, this is for me. This place, this empty building is for me. And that's when I started doing research and I came across like this person that was, they were renting out the building to make like a shop or like a little bakery or whatever. So I signed up and I explained my concept to them that I was just thinking about. Like, I want to make a little cute space with all the things that I love that I really, really, really care about. Like for example, artworks, my books, but also like secondhand stuff, very cute kawaii stuff that I can upcycle or that I can fix when it's broken and I can give it a second life. I explained that to them and they were immediately hooked. They were like, yeah, let's do it. And then even after a few months, Corona still didn't went away so she was still there and I remember working so hard in that store or to be store in February and March and opening mid-April so that's not even a long time ago 
And I've never been happier ever since because I finally, finally got to do what I really wanted to do. And now I start appreciating illustrating again. And now I start enjoying drawing again because up until last year, I felt so drained and I felt so like obliged to draw that it took away the joy completely. Now I finally start enjoying drawing again because it's not obliged anymore. And and did you have fear to quit your job and start to do something completely of new? Of course. Of course. Because quitting your main job is so risky to begin with. But I always believe that quitting my job was the biggest act of loyalty towards myself that I've ever done. Because even though it was good money and even though I lived so comfortable back then, because of the money. The money was not worth it. The comfortableness wasn't worth it because I was unhappy and I was so unsatisfied with what I was doing. It didn't bring me as much joy or as much satisfaction as I had in the beginning. So I went for it. And yes, the money that I earn now is not even half of what I had back then, but I'm 10 times happier. So, I mean, yes, it is worth it. Yes, it was risky, but it was so worth it. If it wasn't for the pandemic, I'm not sure if I would have quit my job like that, like ice cold turkey. Just What is that then precisely? What, what makes you so happy? Like, is it like because you're making a lot of art, like making art maybe or... You also address a lot of stuff. Is that what makes you Yeah, like, I'm just curious what then gives you most joy? Good question, because I think it's multiple things. And one of them you already mentioned is like the creation of art, because I enjoy the process now more. Feeling the pressure to monetize your hobbies is so tiring. So I try to push it away. And like create for my own sake, just for the sake of creating, just for the sake of fun, maybe. Why not fun? Why can't we have fun? Everything has to have a purpose. Everything has to have a reason. No, why not just for fun? Ever since I switched my mindset from, oh my God, I have to make money because otherwise I'm not going to survive to, I'm going to make cute stuff and I'm going to do it for myself. And if someone wants to buy it, even better. And ever since that switch, I got a lot of more like trust. So that's one part. And another part is community building. I noticed that a lot of people have been coming into the store that had similar struggles, that had similar stories, different nuances, but everyone was like looking for a safe space. And I became friends with some of my customers that are a bit younger than me, but I recognize myself in them. And it makes me so happy that we just have a tiny little space where we can just be ourselves, where we can draw, where we can make friendship bracelets, where we can just play because playing is so important and it brings so much relief in this dark world, I think. And That is my safe space. My crossing shop is my safe space. And that is what makes me so happy because I've never had that before. As Christine, you address a lot of like daily struggles and daily situations. And now that I hear you 
how you have figured out your life and your situation better than before. Do you think, is Kristen as good a happy person as she is a person who is grinding, struggling, fighting against the system? Are you asking me if I am, uh, me, myself, I'm happy or? I understand that you're in a quite of a good place now. And when you draw and when you illustrate, when I look at the, um, the images and the cartoons, I see a lot of daily relatable struggles. But I also hear that you're in a good place now. Does this make your work better? And do you feel that you are can still very much relate to certain topics? Or do you feel that... Yeah, I'm just wondering if you're getting closer to Kroisin, if she's really developing into into a more adult person or that is or that you very mm. much feel that you have this activist role where you have to address certain topics i think i understand the question mm -hmm. now thank you for the clarification i think this this answer also consists of two parts because the best art and this is a pretty sad thing the best art comes from pain because as i was stating before it's a getaway for me it's my reason why I can process things in the first place. So I think pain is always going to be there because as a person of color, you can't just turn your identity off, especially when you have multiple difficulties, like levels of difficulties. And that's where that intersectionality comes in. So I think, no, there will always be painful things even though I am myself a happier person or like I am more true to myself, let's say, doesn't make it easier or anything. And also to answer that second part, do I feel obliged? I used to feel obliged. I used to feel pressured all the time to talk and draw and comment on this and this and that and this and that, but you can't do that. You can't keep it up as an individual because First of all, you're not a news outlet. Second of all, you're not a professional journalist. Third of all, you're not, you're not the primary source of information, of news. And that's very difficult because a lot of people consider me as the first source of information, which puts a lot of pressure on me because I know that if I don't fact check my sources, false information will be spread. And that's something that I can't allow to happen. So that's why I'm trying to be less vocal about things that are happening fast, but rather like put them in perspective and like do my own research and then come out with like a conclusion or an opinion or a drawing or a comic or my vision on things. You can't be woke about things all the time. You are a person. You have your own needs. You have your own life. You have your own daily routines. You have to live, not to be consumed. You don't have to live so people can drain you. You can't do that. I mean, you have to be reasonable and consider for yourself, okay, what is the amount of energy and time that I can put in right now rather than looking at it from a perspective and see what you can do in the long term or like offline because not everything has to be online necessarily and that's a few other things that i've learned also the past year that you can be vocal about everything and you don't have to be people can't expect that from you because otherwise you're just a machine but you're not so you have to decide for yourself what is reasonable and what is not because you're just human
Uh, I think that's also your strength because if you look at your illustrations, I really see that you feel it and that you are that. And that makes it, I think, very human and accessible. Is there for you a reason to do it that way or like in spreading your message or something? In a way, yes. I think that's in a way, but I don't do it like on purpose. I always write or draw out of my gut feeling. I always draw as if it was just for me. I always draw as if I was the only one that's ever going to see it. And then I just throw it out there and whatever happens with it happens with it. I don't draw with the idea in my head like, oh, yeah, people are going to relate because sometimes I even feel no one is going to relate. And apparently sometimes people do because you are your own self. So you think that everything that happens to you is so individual, but it's not. It's universal. All of the feelings that you experience are universal. So somehow or in a way, people will recognize themselves, but they give their own nuance to it. They make their own story out of the comic. And that is what makes it so relatable, I think, because everyone has their own life and they picture themselves like, oh, yeah, this is a struggle that I have. But it's 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 different, but it's still the same. You know what I'm saying? How do these comics come alive? Like I can imagine if you're a writer or like a painter, you sit in front of your canvas or your paper and you start writing. How long do you think about an illustration before you start writing? You just said you write from your gut feeling. Is that like a gut mm -hmm. feeling, like a passionate gut feeling? Or is it a gut feeling that you maybe collect IDs and then like, okay, I'm, this is how I'm going to put it to paper? Do you make like a lot of sketches and then like put it down to one sketch? Can you get us through how this process goes for you? Actually, the, the process is not as exciting <laughs> as okay. it may seem because uh, I never sketch. I don't. So whenever something pops up in my mind, I rather write it out first. So I write things down, like in the first panel, I want this and this and this. In the second panel, I want this and this and that. I want this facial expression. I want this pose or whatever. What's more important than the drawings are the texts, like the messages, because I feel like uh, my illustrations are submissive to text, so they come in the second place, but I feel like they should be supportive of the text. But the main thing is the text. So I actually take more time in copywriting, like getting the right words, you know, like the comma, the, mm -hmm. the, the point, like the point has to be so simple that everyone understands it. So that's especially one of the must must-haves of my comics. And then I try to reduce it into 10 slides because I know you can only uh, post up to 10 pictures. So that's one of the other rules. And then I just start drawing. I just start drawing because I have an image in my head and then, then I try to translate it into illustration. The illustration part is not the longest part. It's even the shortest part. But thinking about it, let's say takes up 70% and drawing takes up 30%. But in terms of when do I feel this need to draw, it's like in the moment. So I don't think of an idea and then I draw it next week. No, I have to do it right now. Even if I get inspiration at 2 a.m. at night, I have to write it down at least because otherwise I'm going to forget it. And that's how I work. If you check my Instagram, sometimes you even see that I don't post in three months because I don't want to force myself in drawing just for the sake of drawing and just for the sake of posting. I mean, I draw for the sake of drawing, but that 
remains private. Whenever I feel a comic is good enough to be posted, then I will post it. And that's how I, in my opinion, maintain the quality of the crossing cartoons because every time I make one, it's, in my opinion, it's a good one. All of the shitty ones, I have them. I have shitty comics, but it's rather funny and like for myself or like to show my friends. Not that I'm insecure about them. No, you have to make bad art in order to make good art. That's basic rule 101. But still, I rather not post instead of like feeling the pressure to post every day, you know, because then the comics are probably not going to be that good. Hey, you said that you wanted to keep, keep it so simple that everybody understands that. And I think that's very like keeping things simple is most of the time much harder than make it very complicated. And, and that also reminds me about something you said in an interview, you said, I don't want to be the echo chamber where I force people to listen to my vision. And I was wondering how we can have better and more fruitful conversations regarding all the issues you you mentioning um, outside of those genres, because that's something I struggle with sometimes. Well, And I'm curious I, how you do that. <laughs> well, to be fair, I still struggle with that because when you have like the spectrum, whatever, I have radical, radical friends, like radical lefty friends, but I also have like centrum, centrum right friends, but they're my friends. So I would much rather like have thoughtful and like interesting conversations with them rather than just force my opinion on them because then we're just talking about ourselves and not with each other. Also, it takes a lot of you to break free from your frame. We all have a frame. We all have glasses on. We all have a certain vision or like a certain biases against things and people so the first thing to do is like try to take the glasses off and try to listen actively to the other person when someone is saying something however and this is specifically about me though I can only speak for myself if we can't agree on the fact that human rights are universal for example then there is no room for a conversation for me because that's one thing that I've also learned Echo chambers and like getting out of your own bubble, it's all good, but at least we can agree on the fact that human rights are universal. If we have to argue about that, that's not an argument. To me, that's a waste of energy. So in those types of conversations, I no longer engage because I want to channel my energy like in correct ways. And I much rather have like thoughtful conversations about things we don't uh, necessarily agree on, but human rights is not one of them. So you have to know when a discussion or like an argument is worth yeah. it. Yeah, pick your battles. Exactly, exactly. And bursting out of that bubble, talking to many, many different people is what helps me. I have so many interesting friends and they're so different from each other. But that makes it so interesting because it opens up my own world as well. Yeah, because I'm, I'm privileged in many, many ways. I am able-bodied. I am, I can see, I can, I'm not deaf. So having also those types of friends, like with a disability, when disabled people, that helps me a lot, like understanding my own privilege and what I can do rather than considering myself like the norm, because I'm not. 
talking about uh, human rights and uh, having the privilege to donate, maybe, you, you pick like a cause you, you would like to do the donation to. Can you explain a bit about uh, where your donation goes? Like for the listener, uh, all guests can do a donation and uh, Crossin also did a donation. Yes, we, we were so honored <laughs> to have chosen Merhaba. I hope I pronounced it well, correctly. It's an organization for LGBTQ plus youth with migration background. So in a sense, they do everything that a, a regular or another organization does for youth, playing games, like going on weekends, you know, like having a good time together, but especially targeted at LGBTQ plus youth with a different migration routes or different migration background. And I think it's so interesting and so necessary as well, because especially we were talking about the intersectionality earlier, especially when you find yourself on that crossroad of intersectionality, there has to be a layered safe space for you because either way you are part of that queer community, but you're also part of a colored community. How do these two groups or communities match? But you are the match. You are the middle center point of the, that Venn diagram. So I think it's very important to have like a decent safe space for youth that are queer and colored. The future will even look more brighter then. I've checked the, just checked the website. The website. It's great. Yeah, it looks Never. cute, right? Yeah. 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 Okay, I think we've come to an end of our conversation. Yes. I would really like to thank you for all your great answers and, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. showing showing who you are, like who you really are, fearless. And, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I think I've also learned a bit from you, so that's, that's, that's always uh, great. Yeah, thank you. No, I would like to thank you for listening to me because I know that I can sometimes when I start talking, it's very hard for me to stop. <laughs> but I think, yeah, this is a podcast. So, I mean, it's, someone's got to talk, right? Yeah. And it's nice that you're also a very good illustrator. So you can talk a lot, but then you can <laughs> then you also know how to keep it short and simple when, when it comes to illustration. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's and, um, and people talk a lot if, as long as it's interesting then it's fine right and you, you you didn't you didn't bore me or uh, definitely not your listeners yeah. if please do follow Crosstin and please do check this episode but also the others yeah i hope we uh meet in the near future thank you very much thank you yes thank you bye -bye. very much bye bye, bye, -bye.